Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Everyone, I'm Lara Coates, and this is CNN Tonight. And look, if you thought that the backlash coming from the decision to fly migrants to Martha's Vineyard would lead to an apology from a Florida governor, you probably haven't been paying attention. No, the governor behind the surprise delivery did not apologize. He's doubling down, as is Texas Governor Greg Abbott, after he bussed dozens of migrants to Vice President Harris's home in Washington, D.C., all to protest President Biden's immigration policies, or frankly, what they criticize as the lack thereof any kind of policy. Now, both are further defending their actions tonight as the migrants that were flown to Martha's Vineyard just two days ago unexpectedly were transported yet again, this time taken voluntarily to Joint Base Camp Cape Cod, where approximately 50 are being offered temporary shelter. Emphasis on the word temporary. 125 National Guard members are being activated to assist in the relief efforts, and in a moment, You're going to hear from two immigration lawyers working to help them through this very confusing ordeal. One was actually in the vineyard just this morning with these migrants. The White House, for their part, is blasting Governors Abbott and DeSantis for using kids and mothers and others fleeing from communism as, quote, political pawns, accusing them of misleading them about where they were even headed. These are the kinds of tactics we see from smugglers. It's quite a statement. And this migrant tells CNN that he and others were misled. Well, we didn't know until the last minute our destinations, such as New York, where our relatives reside, he says. We came with, as I say, the idea of reuniting with them. But... Flores governor says, no, 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 there, there was no deception of any kind. He actually says that the undocumented immigrants have been treated great. Not only do the people, do they give them a release form to sign, they actually give them a packet, and in that packet included a map of Martha's Vineyard. So it was obvious that that's where they were going, but they're given a, a good ride, they're given everything, and that's just, you know, it's a humane thing to do. What's not humane is what Biden is doing. He's false, given a false promise, the border's open, luring people to come here for political purposes, and then basically cutting these people loose and leaving them high and dry. Hmm. Now, oh, was that, you ask? That's the map. That's the map that the asylum seekers were actually given. 
Can't you tell by the fact that there's a, a big red line that goes from Texas to Massachusetts? Wasn't it obvious where they were going? I feel as though I've seen this map before, maybe something along the lines of what my third grader may have done in a version of social studies, if they even call that the class any longer. Well, the other one you're seeing is a map of Martha's Vineyard. But at the top, it just says, welcome to Massachusetts. And remember, these are migrants on a long and stressful journey from Venezuela. Many have not even heard of Martha's Vineyard or perhaps even Massachusetts. And for those of you who don't realize, of course, it's a ferry or a plane because it's basically an island. So how is one getting off is probably the next question you're probably wondering about. And as you heard, some thought they were actually going to New York. Now, the governor of Florida vows that this is just the beginning. And Florida will continue to transport the undocumented to so-called sanctuary cities. We've heard this a lot, and we've heard it before, and we'll likely hear it again. And the response has varied. And there are so many questions about how he and the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, went about their decision-making process and these missions, from the planes to the buses. I mean, you just heard the White House compare this all to tactics of human smugglers, which is very strong words, and you're sure to get a reaction, I'm sure, any moment. But it raises the question as to whether all of this is even truly legal, let alone questions about who might be footing the bill. Now, Governor Abbott, he rejects the idea that he's done anything wrong, let alone illegal. And in fact, he pins the tail of blame on the party of the, well, political donkey. What is inhumane uh, is the president's policies that have led his border with Mexico to be declared the deadliest border crossing in the entire world. What we've done in the state of Texas is follow the law uh, to the T to make sure that everything that we've done uh, comports with the federal law. We receive written authorization by everybody that we transport that they agree to exactly what we are doing. There's been zero people that Texas has misled. Zero people that Texas has misled. The prosecutor in me wants to test whether that, in fact, has been true. So let's take that to someone who was just with the migrants flown to Martha's Vineyard just this very morning. Miriam Albert is a staff attorney at Lawyers for Civil Rights. Here with us as well is immigration attorney Alan Orr, a former president of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. I'm very glad you're both here. I'm still a little bit stunned by the map that was put on this screen, this idea of a red line from Texas to Massachusetts, purporting to tell people, here's where you're going. But the, the, the bigger question I think people have, aside from the optics of this, I want to start with you, Marion, here, because you were on the ground in Martha's Vineyard. You've spoken to many of the people who have actually been transported this way. I, I wonder what the impression they had as to where they were going and why they were there. Do you have any idea? Yes, Laura. Well, actually, uh, Lawyers for Civil Rights has been on the ground um, at St. Andrew's Church since yesterday morning, including myself. Um, and what we're hearing from folks on the, um, the affected individuals is that, uh, you know, they were induced. They were told promises that they would uh, find employment, that they would find permanent housing, um, that they, uh, that this whole ordeal would not affect their immigration proceedings at all. Um, 
And as you were mentioning earlier, uh, many people were told that they were going to one location um, and really halfway through the trip, they were told that they were actually headed to an island off the coast of Massachusetts. Um, I think it's a little disingenuous to expect people who have just set foot on the on U.S. Uh, soil to to know the geography of the United States, uh, such that they were, you know, entering uh, through the 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 U.S. border um, in Texas, and that they they should be expected to know where Massachusetts is, where mm. Massachusetts is, and um, even more so where Martha's Vineyard is. I mean, even even a part of that point, Alan. I mean, we think about this. There is a process. I mean, there is a whole field of law, obviously, you specialize in, and we know this quite well at immigration law. There is a whole process by which when somebody is arriving, particularly as um, an asylum seeker, the idea of the, the, the responsibility to have to appear for court hearings, going through the process, the idea of having to be in the location they're supposed to be in, all the things are happening. Are, what are the risks that you see of having the people who've entered this way in this process transported to areas they might not be able to leave from without the assistance of the government. Right. So this is a complete system failure because what we've already heard is that actual border control put false addresses on their notices to appear, which are the documents that tell the courts where they're located to communicate to these individuals to follow up on their cases. So that's error number one on a federal level and then moving them to jurisdictions away from where they supposedly should be or even the location they came in removes them from the legal providers that are able to help them sort of matriculate through the system. So it's a very bad thing because when they don't show up in court, their case is dismissed and they're removed in absentia and it's very hard for individuals who don't speak English, that's very important that their primary language is not English and it may not be Spanish in many cases to be able to matriculate through the system without legal representation. An important point, Marianne, that notion, the idea of it seems as though it's setting up for failure for a variety of reasons. If they have the wrong address, they can't be communicated with, they don't know the process when they're getting here, they're going to eventually have a deportation warrant issued, and then if they fail to appear, then their chance of being able to maintain the legal process may be fatally compromised. And on that point of the language barrier that might exist for some who have come, do we know if the paperwork they were handed that told them about where they were going according to the governor, was it in English? Was it in Spanish? Do we know? The information that they received was predominantly in English. Um, and just to the point that you were saying earlier, I do want to add that that was especially alarming because many individuals were given um, a sheet or a form to request an address change, but it was the wrong form to begin with. Um, the form that they received was to change their address in immigration court, and that's something that these individuals don't necessarily need at this juncture in their immigration proceedings. So that was extremely alarming and disorienting for a lot of these individuals, um, you know, in addition to the fact that they have a language barrier um, and that now they're like hundreds of miles away from the office that they were supposed to, to, to um, attend these check-in appointments and um, all of these hearings. So what does that mean in terms of possible, if any, legal exposure for those who have facilitated this process for them to be transported? I mean, Alan, I think about the ways in which obviously there's a, there's a political discussion that's happening. The lawyers within, of course, think about is there any legal challenges that could be mounted against this process? Are you seeing any red flags here that would signal to you that a law may have to be investigated as being broken? 
Yes. And uh, first, I want to say this issue is bigger than the 50 people in Martha's Vineyard or the couple of hundred that were presented before the vice president's home. We're talking about 9,000 immigrants so far that have been shipped out of Texas alone. So it's a big global problem, I mean, a national problem for us to sort of address. It's actually a global problem because these individuals are nationals of other countries that we should not treat foreign nationals that way. So there are lawyers who are looking for individual relief based on a U visa, which is trafficking. There are also lawyers who are saying that this violates our civil rights laws because they're specifically targeting foreign nationals and specifically people of Hispanic origin during National, His or National Hispanic Month. Um, as well as we've already seen the Abbott program of the Lone Star Enforcement Program, their own immigration system that they set up in Texas under review by the Department of Justice. What we see now is this attack on federalism and the way that immigration has been administered in this country for years. Hmm. Marianne, Albert, Eleanor, we'll have to see what happens next. Of course, you're right. This is much bigger than the individual cases we're seeing from this week alone. This is a growing problem. Correct. And, and political and yes. otherwise. We'll have to see what happens. I, I certainly don't want this to be the continued reflection of who we say we are. Right. Mary and Albert, Eleanor, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Look, we're going to continue the conversation in just a moment. But I, I do want to let you know, speaking of the law, there are some new developments in about the Mar-a-Lago documents case. The DOJ is now asking an appellate's court to, appeals court, excuse me, to intervene. CNN Jessica Shiner is here and she has her hands on the filing. Jessica, it's a Friday night, which means there must be a legal filing of some kind. We're so used to this. Tell me what happened. Well, you know, uh, the DOJ promised that they would appeal uh, the judge's ruling by the end of the week. Here we are, Friday night, 9 p.m., and they have <laughs> appealed. Um, you know, they are basically doing this not full throttle. They're really asking for some limited relief here. They're basically cutting right to the chase and saying, look, 11th Circuit, we only want two things. So I'll read from this appeal um, to tell you exactly what they want. It says, although the government believes the district court fundamentally erred in appointing a special master and granting injunctive relief, the government seeks to stay only on the portions of the order causing the most serious and immediate harm to the government and the public by one, restricting the government's review and use of the records bearing classification markings, and two, requiring the government to disclose those records for a special master review process. So they're asking for two things here. They're saying, look, we should be able to continue our ongoing criminal investigation into these classified documents, because remember, it was Judge Eileen Cannon at the district court level in Florida that put the brakes on that, saying, look, while this special master review is ongoing, you cannot use those 100 classified documents in your ongoing investigation, the DOJ is saying, look, this is going to cause us irreparable harm and we need to be able to move forward with this. So that's the first thing they're asking the 11th Circuit. And then the second thing is that they've been they've been told that they have to disclose the classified information during the special master review. And they're saying that that is also going to harm uh, the process here, possibly harm national security by letting the special master take a look at all of these classified documents. Um, so those are the two things they're asking for. They're not appealing the district court's uh, uh, judge in full, but they are asking for these two immediate steps from the 11th Circuit. Um, so we'll see what the, what the court does here. As we've noted in the past, six of the 11 judges on the 11th Circuit are Trump appointees. So there will be probably a three-member panel that will take a look at this appeal and, and we'll see how fast it moves. Um, you know, in addition, there was one note at the end of this appeal 
that kind of took a shot at the district court judge Eileen Cannon. I mean, the DOJ wrote in this, you know, courts in the past have exercised great caution before interfering through civil actions with criminal investigations or cases. You know, the DOJ is uh, angry about what the judge has done here. The fact that she has stepped in in a civil action to put the brakes on their criminal investigation. And at this point, Laura, that's what the DOJ is trying to get uh, cured here. They want to go back to their investigation and they're asking the 11th Circuit, don't tie our hands anymore. We need to be able to use all of the material to move forward with this. It's a really important development. We know there was that notice of, they said they would file a notice of appeal. Now it's here, but what a calculated risk to think about the amount of time it might take to resolve this issue. Appeals are not known as the most expeditious process, but we right. will see what they do. Jessica, thank you so much. Now, look, we're going to stay on that and we're going to give you more information about that because it, it really is something Just think about the way this is ballooning. The idea that you don't want people to see these documents and now just think of all of the hands and the eyes that are now going to be touching and seeing these documents. And look, when it comes to shipping off human beings, this whole political conversation is, well, it's not necessarily a new tactic. Come with me on a trip back in time. I'm going to tell you about something that happened in our own American history not too long ago. It's being compared to the very thing that's happening today. Our conversation continues next. Look, the scenes we're seeing in Martha's Vineyard strike, frankly, too familiar a chord. One, people, one person hearing in Washington, D.C., and New York, and, and in a bus after, bus after being stranded, people in the middle of Chicago as well. It's really all over the country. And they echo something that happened some 60 years of our past. Back to something called the reverse Freedom Rides. And maybe you've never heard of what this is. You've certainly heard of Freedom Riders, right? But the Freedom Rides in the reverse, when black families were tricked by white supremacists. They were lured by the promise of a job or a better home, and they were bused to Hyannis, Massachusetts, right near John F. Kennedy's holiday home. Now, the number is racked up by Governor Abbott, and then just put the segregationists of that dark period, well, frankly, to shame in the numbers alone. Now, the reverse Freedom Riders, they tricked about 200 people into getting onto a bus. 199 or maybe even 200, far too many. Well, today's Republicans have moved more than 9,000 people and are promising more. Joining me now at the table tonight are Ashley Allison, former member of the Biden-Harris campaign, April Ryan, White House correspondent for The Grio, and former Republican congressman and host of the White Flag podcast, Joe Walsh. Welcome to all of you. Mm. Many people haven't heard the story of the reverse Freedom Riders and the idea of what that looks like. And obviously, a discussion about white supremacy um, has its own particular place in our contemporary world and in the past. What's happening here is political, undoubtedly. And the idea that it's being used as a way to bait the conversation, I think among Democrats in particular, to me seems very plain. What do you make of the idea? I mean, are you seeing some innocent explanation that just says, look, Biden, what are you going to do about it? Or is it, hmm, put your politics and resources where your statements are? It's no surprise that we're about 50 days out from a midterm election. Mm. So this is political theater. 
Um, if Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis actually wanted to help these immigrants and migrants, they would have maybe called the mayor of Chicago or notified Ooh. people in Massachusetts or notified people in our nation's capital. They didn't do that. They're using money, taxpayer money, $12 million, DeSantis, and flying them because they do not see them as human beings. They don't want to be bothered with them. They don't feel like they deserve the humanity and dignity that this country has offered so many immigrants um, in our nation's history. And it's disgusting. The way you began that makes me think, I mean, because that's where the conversation really has been across mm -hmm. the country, right? The idea of had you actually had pure motivations and the idea that, yes, there are other states that need to absorb those who are coming as asylum seekers, then that would have been a different tactic. And that's why I think the conversation has become more about the tactic yes. as much about the policy. Oh, Laura, absolutely. Look, there are serious issues here. Our immigration system is broken. Our asylum-seeking system is broken. But back up for a moment. Think about what a governor of one of our states did mm. two days ago. He lied to 50 people to get them on a plane. And as your earlier segment, Laura, made clear, DeSantis sabotaged their asylum-seeking process by mm. sending them off to another jurisdiction. I mean, that, that just... That blinds us all to the serious discussion we should be having and that's because the, it's so cruel. And mm. that's the point. Every time we see these issues of inhumanity to migrants, there's always a serious discussion and then it falls off. As we've said, the situation is broken. But let's not just leave it here at Joe Biden. Let's go back to the prior president. What happened? People in cages. That's right. People in cages. The inhumanity about that. There was a bluster about that. What happened? Then, what was it, last year? The range used as whips. A bluster then. For the Haitians who yes. were under the bridge yes. in the Florida, Texas region. Yes. yes. Texas region, excuse me. Inhumanity once again. The story that you had. I mean, the immigration issue in this country is older than I am old. And we still continue to get upset. But where is the fix? And now what's happening? You know, you're sending people to an enclave an enclave with multi-million dollar homes and there's no infrastructure to keep them. Well, that's their not point, shop, right? right? The and point was to, to, the point really was and felt like here is a, here is a place. It wasn't just Chicago any longer or New York City. It wasn't where it was a bigger. city with it infrastructure. City. It was, it, you're, you're right. Six towns, six towns. But the issue is the bluster happens and then it dies off. The system is broken and the people who are impacted are people who are underserved, who need help, and who are seeking asylum for whatever reason, looking to this country for help, and yet they're being used. Interestingly enough, in Florida, I mean, you're talking about migrants and asylum seekers more broadly. If we think about it as a broad concept and go to Florida, I mean, the, the data is since October 1st, the U.S. Coast Guard has interdicted um, 5,154 Cubans. Mm compared to 838 last year and 49 in 2020, which means there's a, a surge yeah. that's happening right now, but it's the Venezuelans that he's opting to do so, to remove and try to intercept from Texas. There's a political notion there. He went, he went to Texas to find 50 migrants. Yeah. The governor of Florida. I mean, that's just idiotically political. Look, our border states have been under siege for a while. You're right, April, through multiple administrations. Yeah. But this isn't leadership. This is just appealing to his base to get them out. And is it idi idiotic? I mean, I, I hear your point. Is it idiotic or strategic? Because it does have Joe Biden in the administration, President Joe Biden in the administration, now having the perception among some that, all right, he's assembling people to talk about it. 
as if he were flat-footed, not thinking about it, and now reacting to what's happening. Does that optical statement, is that problematic? I think Democrats have the moral high ground here, and Mm. they have to be intentional in how they talk about this. He found $12 million in his state budget. (laughs) Imagine what he could actually have done to help these people in his home state if he put as much energy into getting them out of a different state and actually turned his own eyes into figuring out within his state. And then you see, you you hear about the volunteers and communities in Martha's Vineyard, in Washington, D.C., the churches. They, and when we had family separation and kids were in cages, separated from their family, people rose to the occasion. We can fix this problem. The problem is, is the folks in power in Washington, D.C., some Democrats and some Republicans are not finding the right solution. Well, we will see what happens and what those solutions look like. I mean, obviously, it's something that's been inherited. It did not begin with the inaugural address of Joe Biden nor Donald Trump, and it's a longer-standing problem. But here we are today. Everyone stick around. We're coming right back to you. And, of course, some Republican-controlled states have also, well, they've moved to restrict transgender rights. I'll tell you about some developments in a culture wars battle in the state of Montana that one could argue is yet another example of people being used as pawns in that culture war. Next. All right, you've heard the old adage that all politics is local, right? Well, lately it seems like maybe all politics is actually personal, about abortion rights and the overturning of Roe v. Wade, about immigration and individual people being used as pawns to score political points. You can probably add in the military and the, what happened just a few weeks ago. And in Montana, about trans people and their ability to change their own birth certificate. Now, five years ago, a trans person in the state just had to fill out a form. Last year, a law passed saying they had to have a gender or have had to have had a gender-affirming surgery to be able to change their birth certificate. And now it's even, frankly, more drastic. A trans person can't change their certificate at all, outside of maybe a clerical error or a mistake. Now, that new rule was blocked by a judge, by the way, but the state said yesterday it's going to defy that order. Because I guess court decisions don't really mean quite as much. We've seen that someplace before. But how did it change so drastically? And in only, what, five years? Let's take it to our guests who are back here with me now. I mean, you think about where we are, and it's no surprise we've got culture wars everywhere, that you have discussions that are um, talked about as if they are completely universally pervasive, and they target different issues to say, aha, this is the solution, or this is the problem, the us versus thems. Is it a winning discussion? Yes, for Republicans it is. I hate to say it, but I come from the world of right-wing media. Mm. And if we're talking about the transgender issue, or even, Laura, if we're talking about immigration, Republicans believe that helps them. Because most Americans, I think, do understand our immigration system is broken. Most Americans think Republicans are demagoguing the issue, but Democrats aren't addressing that. Republicans think that that, that helps them. Is he right? No. No. no, we're in a world right now where pronouns lead everything. How about that? You know, <laughs> and, and we cannot sit here and watch this moment and not think about a pronoun. Everybody goes by a pronoun. But then you have the community that is rising up, taking stands after they have been told you cannot go to school. Your children cannot go to school if they if they stay there in this community or I'm not going to give you lunch because you're in the community. There's so many things that continue to pile upon this community 
that is now finding its way. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when the Republican Party is talking about we don't want same-sex marriage and you've got a Supreme Court justice talking about we need to deal with this, this is an issue. And then when we talk about all of this, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden just had this, uh, was it United We Stand conference Mm -hmm. this week at the White House on this very issue. Is this hate or is this politics? But one, could, the community. But one could argue by virtue of him having the continued discussions, he believes it's a winning argument for Republicans. Yeah. I, I think it depends on where you are. We have to be on, you know, I'm from Ohio and sometimes I talk to people and they don't lead with pronouns actually. In, uh, and they're like, what? I remember having a conversation with folks before. And there are like, people in Ohio that lead they, with pronouns. Some, yes, but not everywhere, some. not, not everywhere. everywhere, right? And so Ohio think, is not a monolith. Okay? <laughs> Okay, I want to say it for all of our viewers. We respect the diversity and the spectrum of every state. Yes. Um, so, but I do think there are still some very conservative areas. We see in, Flo- in Florida, yet again, Governor DeSantis with the Don't Say Gay Bill doing a lot of aggressive um, work to try and block access to trans children in schools, being even to play in sports or being able to yeah. be in certain classrooms. He's not in a runaway election anymore either because of some of that behavior. So I think it depends. I think if voters are struggling right now and the top issue that they want to talk about is not about transgender children. And if you want to leave with that. Exactly. No, I'm not saying leave with that. No, no, no. I'm not saying leave with that. But as you said, politics is personal. Mm -hmm. And if you are in the community or if you have someone in the community you think of that. You can, and, and this is part of the problem why the system, some say, have been bro- has been broken for so long. is because so many people are left outside of the system. What happens to those people who say pronouns? What happens to those people people that uh, that Kemp in Georgia doesn't want to have lunch mm-hmm. uh, if they're in a community? There's so many different states that are now targeting in different ways the LGBTQ plus community and. They say, look, we are people, too. Absolutely. And we're allowed right. to have our, I agree right. with you. And they're allowed to have, this is what is said, we are allowed to have our rights just as well as anyone else. You're right, but these issues animate Republican voters. Laura, the other thing about Montana is a judge said no. Yeah. And Montana Republicans said, we're yes. going to ignore that judge. <laughs> right. This is what they've learned from Trump, to just ignore or, the rule of yeah. law, ignore the court's that, to me, is the much scarier well, aspect. And also, say, on that April, point, I though, with you. it's... Okay, that, thank you. Just, okay. That was this a beautiful is, kumbaya moment. Let's, I, all, let's all, oh, all hold completely hands. Let's all, it. all hold hands. I we missed it. There'll be s'mores for us later. Oh, my we goodness. We missed the whole okay. thing. I will say, taking a step back on all this, what we really described, from immigration to issues you're talking about, pronoun use and beyond, it's the visceral reaction to a changing America. Completely. Yeah, and absolutely. whether it's the discussions of the browning of America or otherwise... That's what we're seeing in the personal talk about this. Joe Walsh, thank you. Ashley and April, stick around. We're going to hold hands without you. Sorry about that. (laughs) Coming up, as the January 6th committee returns to work, Jake Tapper joins me to preview his CNN special report. He's got some new details and new exclusive interviews with key witnesses, including those you haven't heard from outside those committee hearings. Up next. The January 6th committee meets today to plan, well, the rest of its schedule. And the members are making very clear their work is not done. I mean, they've been piecing together testimony from more than 1,000 witnesses, along with video and texts and emails and other documents. 
But one new piece of evidence released just yesterday by the committee is audio from a walkie-talkie app used by members of the Oath Keepers who were inside the Capitol that day and other providing intel from um, elsewhere. Here, they are responding in real time to this, this 2.38 p.m. tweet from then-President Trump telling rioters to stay peaceful. Trump just tweeted, please support our Capitol Police. They are on our side. Do not harm them. That's saying a lot by what he didn't say. He didn't say not to do anything to the congressman. (laughs) Well, he did not ask him to stand down. He just said, uh, stand by the Capitol Police. They are on our side and they are good people. So uh, it's getting real down there. I got it on TV and it's... um, It's looking pretty friggin' radical to me. More than a half, more than an hour and a half, an hour and a half passed between that tweet and when the former president told the rioters he loved him, but to go home. Jake Tapper is examining the evidence in his new special, American Coup, premiering here on CNN Sunday night at 9 p.m. Here's a preview. When the president finally relented and released a video telling the rioters to go home, it was 4.17 p.m., three hours and seven minutes since the riot began. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it. Seeing him on camera start the video by talking about a stolen election, I just immediately knew that he wasn't going to meet the moment and say what was needed in that time. So go home. We love you. You're very special. Yet again, many rioters took the president's words as instructions. I'm here delivering the president's message. Working in communications for him, I knew that I would be tasked with defending that. And we had just witnessed all this violence at the Capitol and these folks attacking police officers, chanting horrible things. And I knew that I couldn't defend that because it was indefensible. I resigned that evening. Jake Tapper joins me now. Wow, I mean, just thinking about that, it's so obvious, Jake, just the weight that the former president's words had on his supporters. I I wonder what the committee has made of not only what he said, But as that clip points out from this incredible special report, the words he chose not to say. Well, that's such an important point because it has been said in the past that Donald Trump, during the three hours and seven minutes of the riot before he put out that statement, uh, that he didn't do anything. But that's not actually accurate, right? He was uh, purposefully refusing. He was watching and enjoying. Mm. It wasn't that he was sitting back there and he didn't know what was going he knew what was going on, and he liked it. And, and that is one of the things that we've learned from the January 6th committee hearings. And there's so much else. Um, we hope to uh, really bring a shine a light on, the, on what they have found, the evidence, the testimony. We, and, and also, we hope to add to it, too, by doing our own interviews with Sarah Matthews, the uh, former Trump White House deputy press secretary, Richard Donahue, the former Trump Justice Department deputy attorney general, uh, Rusty Bowers uh, and, and Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and so many more. So, th- so that you're learning what uh, what evidence has been brought out in a comprehensive singular place, but also why it matters and what it what it shows. And I hope the documentary really 
uh, brings that home for people. You got to watch the special program, the special report by our own Jake Tapper. It's called American Coup. It premieres this Sunday, 9 p.m. And coming up, the new star of The Little Mermaid is bringing so much joy to the children across this country months before the movie even hits the theaters. And we've got the video to prove it. But those poor, unfortunate souls known as racist trolls are trying to spoil all the fun. Their fishy argument next. Wish I could be. and singer Halle Bailey, not Halle Berry, troll haters. Halle Bailey as Ariel in The Little Mermaid. Disney Studios released the teaser for the week um, for the movie and it's getting a lot of reaction. Just look at how black little girls are reacting to a black little mermaid. Look at this. (gasps) New Ariel. Ashley and April are back here with me now. I mean, first of all, the little girl in me is cheering. I have the whole thing of under the sea stuck in my head right now. Under I mean, the oh, sea. we singing the whole thing? No. Under <laughs> the sea. Don't have a fork. Start combing your hair. Like you all of a sudden. It's a whole problem. Although, I loved Ursula. I got to tell you, I don't know what it was, but I loved the song she did, The Poor Unfortunate Souls. Unfortunately, that applies now to those who are hating on the fact that it's a yeah. Black Little Mermaid. And I feel like, haven't we seen this particular social media movie before? I don't like it. I don't like it either. Um, I have goosebumps watching mm-hmm. that. You know, I'm a mother of two Black girls, 20 and 14, and we used to just watch Disney. I mean, we, we went to New York, my oldest daughter, and I went to New York just to see Tiana mm. with Princess in the Fog because... There was a black princess finally. I grew up on Disney and they grew up on Disney. And now to see this, an actual person, a black person playing this role and singing, it just makes me, representation matters. It does. It matters. And it's like us being here, these three black women here on this set right now, what this does and that it lets other young girls and women know that there's hope for more. I mean, the irony that she's singing this song, uh, wishing she could be part of their world, is really poignant given what the criticism has been, the unjustified, undeserved criticism, because I I know we didn't always see ourselves in film and in roles, but yet the expectation was that we could still be inspired by those who did not look like us. So why would the reverse not be true, that there are young girls who could be inspired by those who don't look like them because they now are brown? Yeah, well, my favorite Little Mermaid song is Harmony, for, that the oh. little uh, crustaceans sing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, stop, sing, sing. sing. And that's, and that's I, what I do. I love the hand. You did the whole thing. I'll dance, but I'm not singing. Uh, but it is about harmony, actually. It's about being able to have space for everyone at yeah. the table and for everyone, whether you're black, whether you're white, 
brown, Asian, LGBTQ, native, indigenous, able-bodied, not a uh, person with disability. It is really about seeing yourself mm-hmm. in places that you haven't seen mm-hmm. yourself before. But also, the funny thing is that people are so upset, like, there could never be a black mermaid. It's a mermaid! It's a mermaid! <laughs> I mean, there's a crab talking, Ursula yeah. is purple. Like, it doesn't make sense, their frustration, but it's about progress. And wanting to see an America that isn't for everyone is what these trolls are about. And I'm not here for it. No. Right, and those shaders, they must have such hate in their heart. Such. Such hate to be upset about a mermaid. A mermaid. Something that brings us all joy. Mm. Little white kids, brown kids, any kind of kid will be watching this. And, and yes, we saw color at first, and then we sit in and watch the movie yeah. for yeah. entertainment and enjoy, laugh and cry. Yeah. I'll tell you what, the only thing I'll be upset about is if the continued fairy tales inc- require a woman to lose her voice to please a man. Mm. How about that, Disney? Mm. Just saying about that. Ooh. But I would say, anyway, mm. <laughs> how wonderful, how delightful. Well, Disney... <laughs> about it we obviously see the joy that it brings and i hope that this beautiful young actress continues to feel the joy because all these little girls and the girls at heart are clapping ashley april will be right back thank you thanks for watching don lemon tonight starts right now hey don lemon quality sleep is essential and that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs so you can choose what's right for you whenever you like Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.